Coming up in this episode, Randy and I are going to talk about a couple of listener questions that have been sent in to us. Also, our featured ride, the Dogwood to Roaring River ride in southern Missouri. And our topic of the day, we're going to talk about buying new motorcycles, or new to you anyway, what to look out for, things like that. So, be sure to stick around. We might have something semi-pertinent to say. Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Random Thoughts from the Road on the Ozark Rides Digital Network. Conversations about motorcycles, any random thoughts that pop into our head, and of course, one of the best places to ride in America, the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. And now, here's your host from OzarkRides.com, Craig Allen and Randy Lewis. You know, riding the long, lonesome highway or back roads aren't always the smoothest. Hitting the occasional pothole or rut can take its toll on your ride. Whether it has two wheels or four, keep Heartland Honda in Springdale in mind. They can service and repair your on-road or off-road vehicle. And when it's time for something new or pre-owned, Heartland Honda in Springdale can fix you up. Check them out online at heartlandhonda.com or give them a call at 479-751-7022. Heartland Honda. Work hard, play hard. You meet the nicest people at Heartland Honda. There he goes, finally off to work. You know, it's been six months since his accident. He just got his new bike, was going to take it for a spin around the block. Some idiot looking at his phone ran a stoplight and plowed right into him. Steve was hurt pretty bad. Thank goodness he was wearing a helmet. And thank goodness for Schmidt Law Firm. Motorcycle accidents happen. Schmidt Law Firm will prove negligence and help you get full recovery. Find them online at kansascitylawyers.com. Put Schmidt Law Firm on your side of the table because motorcycle accidents do happen. Heading out on the open road is the perfect way to spend a beautiful day. Located deep in the heart of the Ozarks, Pulaski County, Missouri doesn't disappoint with its breathtaking scenic views. Some of the pit stops you need to check out as you make your way through the countryside include tributes to veterans and active armed forces members at Fort Leonard Wood, the John B. Mahaffey Museum Complex, Memorial Grove, Freedom Rock, and many more. Historic sites like the 1903 Courthouse Museum, the Old Stagecoach Stop, and the Rubidoux Spring Cherokee Campsite. The Bow and Barrel Sportsman Center, featuring an indoor gun and archery range. The Uranus Entertainment Complex, a truly out-of-the-world experience full of quirky finds and home to the most delicious fudge along the Mother Road. And some popular food and drink stops, including Home Plate Grill, 28 Shots Bar and Grill. Sweetwater Barbecue, The Tap on Route 66, Hopper's Pub, The Burger Stand, Piney River Tap Room, Route 66 Taco and Wings, and Sweet Peas Barbecue. Find more great places and plan out your ride at visitpulaskicounty.org. Well, welcome back to another episode of Random Thoughts from the Road. With me, as always, is my esteemed colleague, Randy Slick Willie Lewis. How are you, sir? Good. How you doing, Cletus? Good. 
I want to talk about, before we get started into everything, something that is kind of personally near and dear to me. Now, these folks are not an advertiser of the podcast, but because of this event, I want to tout that because it's kind of important. It's the Breast Cancer Awareness Ride and the Women's Bling It event, B-L-I-N-G. It's going to be October 4th. And it's at Renegade Harley-Davidson in Springfield, Missouri. So if you're in that area, this kind of pertains to you. Now, the ride starts at 9.30 in the morning. You need to RSVP by today, the 8th. Today. <laughs> so, JK, guys. Yeah, so you, you, your time is still. You know what? The truth is, I think if you go to their website and RSVP on the 9th or 10th or whatever, they'll take you. Shit, I'd be willing to bet that if you just showed up. They'll take you. You'll ride. So it's a $10 ride uh, entry fee. Now, the Women's Bling It event uh, is $40, and it's from 12 to 3, and it includes the ride entry, of course. 2023 Renegade Breast Cancer Awareness T-shirt and supplies to bling. So you just have to bring yourself. Ah. Oh, you're going to have tassels they can give you, Randy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. all the proceeds go to the Breast Cancer Foundation of the Ozarks. Real important awesome. uh, event, and I'll encourage you all, if you're in the area, to check it out. Now, moving on, our featured ride of the week. It is, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever even taken this, it's called the Dogwood to Roaring River Ride in Southern Missouri, 26-mile ride. I don't know if I've ever taken that. I've been to Roaring River. Isn't that a cool place? Yeah, it is really cool. Yeah, and so is Dogwood. I mean, stupid cool. Uh, you'll find it on page one of the Missouri Ride Maps pages. Uh, it takes uh, Missouri 86, which is a, a well-traveled, like a two-lane, but it's yeah. a highway. Yeah. Uh, and Country Road F into Dogwood. Kind of, it's also a good two-lane paved road, but it's a little bit more rural, windy. I like that. Yeah, it's it's pretty neat. Then you get to the river and you can strip all that shit down and let it hang. Get the it's water not a, a nudie bit. river. Says you. Says you. Says you. That's that's where your arrest <laughs> record started. <laughs> you know, but also on this ride, you can take in the Eureka Springs Safari Park. That's obviously not in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Yeah. Why they call it that, I don't know. But it's a safari park, as you would imagine. So it's right there along the way, about midway point. Something to do. But anyways, check it out. It's like I said, on page one of the Missouri Ride Map pages. It's down at the bottom, and it's called the Dogwood to Roaring River Ride. Now on to a feature that we have decided to keep uh, rolling. We're going to do two questions from listeners. Had nothing better to do but to sit down in front of a keyboard and (laughs) send us a question. First one, we're going to start out with you. Um, Says, guys, um, he's from Joe in Mission, Kansas. That's up there by Overland Park. I'll pray for you. Yeah. Uh, guys, now, first of all, Joe, guys, I take everything literally. What are you thinking that uh, a technical question would go towards me? So <laughs> this is a, ra- a Randy um, question. Sure you should have just said Randy. Yeah, <laughs> Left me out of it. Whatever. It says, uh, I have a lot of Harley experience from the 80s and 90s models, and he's ridden Kawasaki since 2002. He's getting ready to retire and would like to buy an inexpensive big twin Harley to ride around the Midwest for a few summers. Now, the early twin cam models sell reasonably well around here, up there in Kansas where he's at, often around five grand or so. But everyone is of the opinion that a 20-year-old twin cam is a time bomb. 
Uh, is it reasonable that I could buy one and with rudimentary mechanical skills, baby the engine a little bit along for 20,000 or so uh, miles that is, and without a lot of ton of cash? And that goes Go to Randy. Me. All right. So here's my my opinion on this. That's situation. all you're going to get is yeah. opinions. No yeah. facts here. Yeah. Just opinions. I am so fucking tired of people shit talking the early twin cams and twin cams in general. For whatever reason, it just bugs the shit out of me. So he's got experience in the 80s and 90s. So you're talking about an Evo motor. Okay. Evos ran from the early 80s all the way up to like 97, 98. It's when they put the twin cams in the touring model bikes and then twin cams and the soft tails came out late 90s. Big long run, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they ran the twin cams from 96, 97 was the earliest. Actually, 97, 98 was the earliest twin cams. And they ran those all the way through 2015, I believe. 2015, 2016. Another big long stretch. Yes, it is very possible for you to pick up one of those bikes and limp it along. If you would like to call it limping along, but man, I've got customers with 150, 160,000 miles on those engines and haven't done much to them at all. It is very possible. So the only thing, here's the two downfalls to an early model twin cam. When I say early model, we'll start with the injection system first. So first generation Harley injection comes out, you know, I think it's 96, 97, and they actually had it on an Evo motor and then they put it onto their twin cam, I believe. It's called Magneti Morelli Fuel Injection. It is garbage. Now, I say garbage with the performance aspect of it. And this is what came from the factory? Yes, yes. Just on the performance side aspect of it and the fact that it's so antiquated now, there's a lot of shops that have no idea what to do with those, how to tune them or how to adjust them. They were kind of a pain in the ass. Now, Magneti Morelli, history on them, they're a great fuel injection company. Like they've done a lot of stuff for race cars back in the day. Um, I want to say they were on Lamborghinis, Ferraris there for a while. And what Harley did is they wanted to get the best manufacturer out there to produce their fuel injection system when they started doing that. Well, they did. It just didn't work out very well. It just is what it is. Okay. So then in, in 2001, I believe 2001, 2002, they switched over to what's called, you can call it Delphi, Delphi, whatever you want. It's D-E-L-P-H-I. It's a single bore throttle body, and that's essentially the same system that they use today. So if you're looking at early model twin cams, if you want fuel injection, I still have multiple customers running Magneti Morelli, and they're operating just fine. It's just when you want to do big performance gains, that's where you really lack. So just a run of the mill, hop on, start up, ride. They're okay. They're sufficient, I'll say. But if you get like an O2 and later, you get the the newer fuel injection system and, and those things are freaking dope. Like they're good. They're really, really good. Now the other thing about those, so first twin cam all the way up until 2006. So this isolates the twin cam 88 is what I'm talking about here. That's the engines with the issues with the cam chain tensioners. So what you have is dual cams on a, on a cam support plate is what it's called. Well, there's a chain that runs both cams, and then there's a chain that runs from the crank to one of the cams. So essentially, the crankshaft produces a power. There's a chain that connects it to one side of one cam. Then on the back side of the cam support plate, there's two cams, and they're tied together with a chain. 
Granted, imagine there's timing there. You have to make sure that that's all lined up. But what they had is a spring-loaded tensioner. So it's essentially just a spring coiled up over a stud that applies pressure to this polycarbonate shoe is what they call it. And that shoe rides on the chain. Well, what it was was the fact that 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 polymer would break down and that chain would start eating into that shoe. When it first came out and they first started realizing that was an issue, it was, I think the tech was like, hey, check it at 50,000 miles. And then it vastly went to check it at 40,000 miles. And then the standard became check it at 30,000 miles. So what you're looking for is it's kind of a pain in the ass because the exhaust system kind of sucked on those models too. So the exhaust was kind of a bit of a pain to get off. Then you have to pull the cam cover off and then you could see the front shoe right there. If it's wore somewhat excessively, then you have to pull, you got a couple different ways. You could cut the push rods, put adjustable push rods back in it. That way you don't have to tear the top end of the motor down. Or you could take the rocker boxes off, the valve covers is what the rocker boxes is. The rocker arms and pull the push rods out the top. Then you could suspend the lifters, pull them up. Then you could pull the cams out and you have to change those tensioners. So if you don't change them, in one of those, say, rubs all the way down to where the shoe breaks, well, there's a spring behind it, and that's metal on metal. Imagine what metal on metal does wearing inside your engine. So that's the big thing that everybody's always freaking out about. So there's a couple ways that you can fix that. And I'll give you some just rough estimates of what relatively what it costs at my shop. So if you replace them with upgraded or i say upgraded it's more of an update of a polymer but the factory geometry factory stuff spring-loaded cam chain tensioner different material everything yeah that's a relative eight to nine hundred dollar cost parts and labor but if you upgrade it to what's called a hydraulic conversion it gets you i always buy harley on this but you get a brand new high volume oil pump you get a brand new hydraulic cam support plate your cams go right into it. Now, typically, I replace all the cam bearings when I do this at that point. But then what you get is oil pressure builds up inside of the cam support plate and pushes out on these shoes for your tensioner. Different polymer. Once you do that, you never have to worry about it ever again. Like, it's, it's just not an issue after that. So you'll wear out before it does. Yes, yes. Now, that's relatively, depending on some of the different little things that you want to run... Around thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars parts and labor. Now that's at my that shop. That additional cost seems like it would be good insurance. Yeah. So let me break this down to you too. The difference between an eighty-eight and a ninety-six inch engine. So ninety-six came out in two thousand seven. Eighty-eight ran through two thousand six. Obviously, there's a difference in size right there, right? Eighty-eight to a ninety-six. They utilize the exact same cylinder heads, essentially the exact same crankshaft, crankcase, everything. The bore is a little bit larger, and the stroke is just minutely different to get you that 96-inch is what it is. But outside of that, essentially, they're all the same, and then they have the hydraulic cam support plate factory installed. So Harley realized it was an issue. They changed it. Now it's fixed. Do you see how I threw in a couple of comments to make it sound like I knew what <laughs> you were saying? Yeah. While looking at you with eyes glazed over? Like, Wow, the schnozberries taste like schnozberries. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So in, in the long way around saying it, yes, I don't see a freaking issue one with that. 
Now, granted, the bigger setback, when times change and everything advances so much, people think the old stuff is just absolute garbage. You know, now they encourage you to get the new stuff. Yeah. Now you're talking about having six speeds, all the infotainment center, all the tech, all the gadgetry, all that bullshit. You strip that bike down to its bare essentials. It's the same bike as an early 2000s, just a different boring stroke on the engine. A little bit different stuff right there. Listen, if you take care of the bike, it'll take care of you. I mean, yes. look at me. I ride a 20-year-old bike. Yeah. The damn thing won't stop running. Exactly. I would be very comfortable with getting across the country anytime, anywhere. Even Kansas. Even Kansas. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, take care of it, and it'll take care of you. Yeah. So to Joe here, what I would say is when you do find one, if you find one of those early, say, pre-2001, 2002 bikes, look and see if it's fuel injected or if it's carbureted. Now, don't be afraid of carburation. Like, In fact, my early twin cam that I built the engine on, I converted from fuel injection to carbureted. Like That's what I done, and I got a lot of power out of it, pretty good fuel mileage, great user ability. Um, and then ask about cam chain tensioners. Outside of that, the only other deficit you would have is a five-speed gearbox. And the only reason why I say that is because you're in Kansas where you don't have a whole lot of slow-speed riding. It, truthfully, like there's not Can't a whole you, lot of... Does Harley offer a uh, overdrive pulley? Yeah, you can change the pulleys to a, a larger... A different... You change the tooth for to reduce that or gain, gain that. And there's a lot of companies out there that sell a six-speed conversion. So you use your factory transmission housing and you slap a set of six speed gears into it mm -hmm. so you can definitely do that you could put a six speed behind an 88 but i'll tell you guys and i tell customers this all the damn time and for whatever reason they just some of them just don't get it sixth gear is not for running around at 50 and 60 miles an hour no it's for hauling the mail it's for in my opinion it's for 70 mile an hour plus riding Outside of that, forget that you have a six-speed. It lugs the engine. It puts a lot of pressure on your compensator. And, and even I know that lugging the engine is bad, very yes. detrimental. It freaking pisses me off all the damn time when people come rolling in and they're like, hey, when I'm traveling 45 and 50 miles an hour in six gear, my bike makes a lot of noise and it's really jerky. And oh, I'm like, yeah. well, no shit, you're not in the right power band and you're not in the right gear. So... Yeah, buy them, dude. They're cheap. They're great. They're great platforms. Um, you can do a lot of stuff to them if you like changing the aesthetics. You like changing, you know, the engine and all that stuff. Just they're good bikes still, and they are very inexpensive. Mainly because when you talk about an early two thousands with an eighty eight twin cam to a freaking stock Harley of today's with a one oh seven M eight or a one fourteen M eight, yeah. Well, listen, I mean, the economics of it, I mean, if you spent five grand, let's say, on the base bike and you had to go in and put that 1300 deal in it, yeah, $1,300 deal uh, and do the things that you're talking about, you're still in dirt cheap and then you've got a rock solid, reliable bike. It, they really are. I don't yeah. give a shit what anyone says. Like, <laughs> they're still good bikes. The only other thing that I would say is, and this is just from the mechanical side of it and, and me having to do stuff. I particularly like the O2 and newer ones because before that, it's it's the rear swing arm for me. So on the rear swing arm, before O2, they still had independent um, axle adjusters. So when you go to, say, put a new tire on it or tighten your belt up, 
this is where people, if you're not very good, you know, screw up a lot of shit because there's an adjuster for each side. Like it has been forever, you know? So if you're not counting it right or measuring it right, you can get your back tire pitched or skewed a little bit. O2 and newer had a cam designed axle so that when you stab the axle into it and you rotate it around, both sides are adjusted equally at the exact same time through what's called an eccentric style cam. It gets small and then it gets larger as it as you rotate it around. So then it adjusts the axle out, but it's even on both sides. And you don't have to really dick with it. All you got to do is rotate it around until you get your belt tension right, put the nut on it, lock it down. Cool. Well, the second question is from a gentleman named Mike in Mason, Texas. Yeah, everything's bigger in Texas, right? Well, that's I know the story. I want to know if it's true. I've been to Texas a shit ton of times. I was born in Texas, so that confirms it. And you are a fat shit bastard. So... You know, I threw that out there as, as a bonus for you just to give yeah, that to you. Yeah. Throw you I know a how you like your gravy dripping yeah. down your chin. <laughs> Starts out, gentlemen, right there and then. I thought about passing this one up because he's obviously delusional. <laughs> We're planning a ride to the Ozarks, and I was wondering, in your opinion, they're on, he yeah. said it and I threw it in, what is the best time of the year to visit? And... What area would you recommend to stay that will be centrally located to the best rides? I, I took, chose this one because that question, what area is the best area to stay, I bet I get four or five a day of those. Really? It's the number one. So if any, 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 if, any of you people mind. that have uh, resorts or something like that, hook, give a, up. Yeah, yeah. hook me up because, <laughs> Jesus, that's the number one question. Yeah. So I personally... And it's all, you know, there are people that really thrive on riding in the heat of the summer. As we all know, I'm not one of them. Yeah. Uh, springtime is a, is nice, but it's a little wet. Yep. You're going to get wet. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I don't mind personally riding in the rain. Um, so for me, it's the fall because mm. the temperatures are spot on perfect. There's little rain and the fall colors. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, you can't beat the fall colors. It's almost like riding up in Vermont in those colors. Uh, not Maybe not quite as pretty, but pretty damn close. Look at you and your soft side. Yeah, soft side. That's right. Uh, centrally located for all the best rides. There's only two places that I can think of uh, that is centrally located. There are other places, of course. Would either be um, Harrison, Arkansas, or uh, obviously Branson. And I choose yeah. Branson because not only is it centrally located for all the good rides, but there's a lot to do down there. Yeah, there is. Okay, a lot there's to no do. gambling houses. That's fine, but there's a lot to do. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Do you have an opinion or a thought on this? Or are you just I no, I will I will one hundred percent back the fall. It's like you said, it's great weather. I love riding with like a flannel shirt on. And that'd be oh, you get it. up Fellow in the morning shirt, in the fall and, and it's crisp out and that yeah, cool I, air. And I dig that. You breathe easy. The bike runs great. The bikes love it. Yeah. Yeah. You get a little bit of morning dew. But outside of that, typically it's really freaking nice. And depending on how deep into fall you go, the cooler it's going to be early. But say this time of year till the next four or five weeks, possibly, you know, it's going to be cool in the morning. 
going to have a little dew out there. You get to go rip. You get to go ride. Air is good. But then it's going to warm up to upper 60s, 70s through the afternoon. You can peel that flannel if you want to and get some t-shirt riding in yeah. if that's your thing. You can get you a good, nice cold beverage and feel good about it. And then the color change is, is freaking just so sick Yeah, this is here. my favorite time of the year. Yeah. As far as a place to stay... And it's, I don't know what it a, is. Not a, so much a place, but a location. Yeah, yeah. So I Harrison, I could I could kind of get down with that. But Eureka I don't Springs most, is cool. I was just going to say, Eureka Springs is probably where I think more centrally located is. But, you know, Eureka Springs is a little bit far south. If you're talking to trying to get up to like the Mark Twain National Forest here yeah. in Missouri. You that's know, that, why I didn't choose a, it off the bat. But it's almost as equal to get to southern Arkansas. You know what I mean? You talk about mm-hmm. the ridge run down there, getting all the way down to the southern part of Arkansas is about the same from Eureka Springs as it is trying to go from Eureka to say the Mark Twain or something. Right. You can't go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I kind of particularly like staying in a little bit more smaller communities. So a lot of people would say, well, what about Rogers? Rogers is nice. You get a bunch of dining options. You got Harley, you got Indian, you know, it's not a really big long shoot over to say Eureka or something. But if you look at Rogers on the map, it's a little bit further west. So say you're wanting to try to get into southwest Missouri, like say Boot Hill Riding or Mark Twain. So that's why Rogers is is not quite right for me to try to get to the eastern side of Arkansas, Missouri. Yeah, because you're over there by Oklahoma. Yeah. Now, the only good thing about Rogers is you're about a 45-minute ride from, say, like the Oklahoma border where gambling and all that stuff gets stabbed, if that's your thing. Yeah. Like, say, Salem Springs, where Salem Springs sits freaking right on the on the border. Salem Springs is probably about a 30-minute ride to Fayetteville, but then in Salem Springs, you go five minutes across town, and now you're in a place where you can go to a casino or something like that, if, if that's yeah, what if you Yeah, if that's want. what you like to do, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to talk to you about today, and for those listening, he has no idea what I'm going to bring up, so I wanted to catch him (laughs) flat-footed. Regarding buying a used motorcycle, first thing I wanted to ask you is, what do you consider high mileage on a motorcycle? I know some motorcycles are better than others with regards to, you know, the, the mileage and stuff like that, but we're talking in general terms. Yeah. You know, you get a car... Hell, I've got a car that has uh, 225,000 miles on it, and it runs like the day it was new. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, you're not going to get that on a motorcycle. There are some that you could, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, when I think about it, which I'm different-minded from everybody else, from the lamers of what I see, most people think, if it's got thirty or 40,000, that's high mileage. I'm yeah. Like, no, yeah, that's, that's freaking nothing, guys. Like, that's still not bad. That's new. So I'll break it down, and this is where some people are like, really? Because the freaking number chasers and the gauge watchers wear my shit out constantly. So say we're 2023, right? You go to, say you bought a 2000. I'm just going to use square numbers here because it's, it's, easy, it's easier to math. So say you buy a 2000 of any bike, and it's got 30,000 miles on it. If you do a breakdown on that, how many miles is that per year? You know, it's under 2,000, right? right. Under 2,000 miles a year that this bike has had put onto it. That's easy riding. That's easy. You know, that's kind of hobbyist is what that is. You know, most hardcore riders, 15, 20,000 miles a year. 
where they're riding constantly and riding a lot and going on big trips. So you talk about 1,500, 2,000 miles a year over that big of a span. That's really not that many miles. The bike's never really been road hard. So why is that worse than, say, a bike that is two years old with 25,000 miles or 20,000 miles? People think a two-year-old bike with 20,000 miles is so much better than a 23-year-old bike with 35 or 36,000 miles or even 40,000 miles. So that's how I kind of equate it and I break it down. Now, obviously, I've, I'm on the mechanic side more and I see issues and time. But you can find bikes with, you know, above 70,000 miles on it that are in way better shape than some bikes with three or 4,000. Yeah. Let's be honest. You got a bike and it's been sitting in the garage and you're not using it. That's the it's, worst. That's doing more damage to the bike than getting out there and riding it. Yeah. So when I talk talk to customers about that and they're like, hey, I'm trying to get into my first Harley or I'm trying to get into my first motorcycle. It's been a little while. You know, what's what's too many miles? And I said, well, it kind of just depends on year and condition. So I would almost rather buy. So we're 2023. I'd almost rather buy a 2014 or 2015 with 50,000 miles on it then I would rather buy a 2003 with 10,000 miles on it. Oh, yeah. That bike sat forever. But they see that too. 10,000 on 2003, it's, it's, it's lived its life in the barn or out yeah, in the field. It, exactly. I see so many times people buy those bikes, and I've got to go through fork oil, brake fluid, tires, brakes, engine oil, oil filter, primary train. Boy, doesn't that add up. Yeah. Fuel injection system. If it's injected, typically I have to go through those and replace a lot of stuff there. And then once you get it all in running shape and you start throwing some heat at it and start putting some miles on it, well, guess what? Now you're into changing gaskets because that shit's sat for so long. Uh They just don't hold up as well. So I would say, you know, high mileage, obviously depending on year and all that stuff, but don't be afraid of one with a miles on it. Because they've been rode, you know, right. when they've been rode, everything's working. You know, if it's got a hundred thousand miles on it, the proof is in the pudding. That son's a bitch, but it's been holding together and it's been working just fine. I have read uh, several articles with bikes, guys riding bikes with more than a half a million miles on it. Oh yeah. So yeah. The other thing I wanted to touch about and would just very briefly is you're going out and buying a used bike. Uh, what do you look at walk around wise? You know, you're out there. Okay, you like it. Be- what got you there is because you like it because it has pretty paint. Yeah, yeah. Now, get past the prettiness and your uh, infatuation of it. What are the some, say, top five things you need to look at and bring to your attention when looking at a used bike? Okay, so when you think about it, it it's not, you know you're going to probably want to change some stuff or do some stuff or maintenance some yeah. stuff. Yeah, and then we're not talking about that. We're just... Yeah, so typically the first couple things that I look at... Red flag stuff. Yeah. So I always look at the condition of paint, seats, tires. How does the throttle work? How do the brakes look? Those those maintenance things. The In my mind, it always goes back to the dollar bill. What am I going to have to put money into right now to make this thing satisfactory for me to ride? Then I look at all the shit that is not easily cleaned. You know, way deep down inside behind the engine. Things that on the, the potential seller might have overlooked when he polished yeah, it up. Yeah, you know, a lot of people just throw some spray wax on it, tire shine on the tires, air up the tires. <laughs> some guys, when they have shit bikes, they'll start them and run them a couple hours before, get them nice and hot, and then let them cool down to where whenever you get there, boom, they hit it, it goes bang. 
But then say you take it home and let it sit for a couple of days and then the prick doesn't want to start. It's back in my day, the old days, the, the seller would throw some STP yeah, into the yeah, into the deal to try yeah. to make it. So this is something that people always think that I'm weird. I'll open up the fuel tank and smell the gas. And everybody's always like, well, what's, what's that matter? Well, when some people don't think about it and they're tied as shit on their dollar bill, they won't put fresh gas into it. Can you actually smell the difference between fresh yes. and yes, my nose doesn't work right? I couldn't. So if it's got old gas in it, immediately that tells me it's sat and it's sat for a while. Yeah, it might start and run, but if it's carbureted, you got to think, all right, well, the jets are probably a little bit plugged up. We it, may the not, carb. it may not. And if it starts and runs great right now, he may have warmed it up or somebody may have warmed it up to make sure that it started and ran good for you and got through all those little early, early start hiccups and stuff like that. Now, granted, I still do the old thing and check the oil. You know, most of the time people are like, oh, it was just serviced. And then I check the oil and the oil is black as night. And I'm like, you know, bullshit. Don't well, give me that. you know, and I, that brings up something that if you're doing that and the guy's told you this, this, and this, and this, and you see evidence that this, this, this is not true, yeah. walk away. Yeah. It's you're just, not dealing with an honest person. Exactly. Exactly. So then I go to the tires because tires right now are freaking through the roof. The price on tires have jumped astronomically. So what I look for is, are the tires in good shape? Are they dry rotted? Are they freaking mounted in the right direction? I don't know how many I've seen mounted backwards or wrong. So then on top of that, there's date codes on every single tire. You can usually tell if it's a new tire or, or how new it is just by looking at it. But there's date codes on tires. Say you buy, go to look at a bike and say it's eight years old or say it's 10 years old. And you look at the date code on it. And that tire is 10 years old. You know you're going to be replacing tires. Because even if you're comfortable with how they look, they're not dry rotted, they're round, they're aired up, that tire is going to wear out super fast. The older a tire gets, the faster it wears out. It's just simple mathematics. It is what it is. Yes. And then with the tires, which it's easier for me because I look at tires constantly every day. So this is the big one, and I've, I've seen this in a in a past couple people that bought bikes. So Dunlop sells a tire for say for Harleys. They sell a D401, they sell a D402, and then Dunlop also sells what's called a D404. And people always buy that D404 because it's cheap. God dang it's cheap. It's way cheaper than a D402 or a D401. Well, when you buy a D404, it specifically says not for use on Harley Davidsons. Because the load rating on it is so light that they wear out really fast. They're not constructed to handle the extra weight of a Harley. Two times in the past three weeks, I've seen people that have bought bikes from a Harley dealership. Now, I hate to shit on my dudes. They bring it in. They want me to look it over make sure everything is what it is. And they've got D404s on it. And I'm like, dude, this, this tire is garbage for this bike. And they're like, what? What do you mean? I just got it from them. It should be good, right? Well, no, not every time that you buy a used motorcycle from a dealer well, is it going to be the same just, as if, new. The, if the tires are visually good, they just leave them on the way they got them. Exactly. That's 100% true. Now, most Harley shops do a decent job about servicing them, making sure that they're up to par, and making sure that it's a good bike when they sell it because reputation is, if you get a bad rep, it's hard to do business, right? Right. But... If there's a way to cut a corner on cost, they're going to cut a corner on cost. 
so that they have the, the highest yield profit off of it. So when you go to look at one at a dealership, that's something that I would be leery of. Don't assume just because you're buying it from a dealership that it's same as new. You're buying a used motorcycle. Okay, they got Chances it are they took it in on trade or whatever, yes. and they yeah. probably just cleaned it up. Yep. Maybe give it a rudimentary look over and yep. set it out there to sell. That's exactly right. So just because you're buying a used bike from a dealership, don't assume that it's brand new and don't assume that every last little part is going to be perfect because okay. it's just not there. Well, that's just some things to think about when you're buying a used bike. Do you have anything else to add? The only other thing is if you can ask about service records, which it kind of pisses me off when people ask me about the bikes that I've, I'm selling for customers. Because sometimes, you know, people are cheap. Not everybody takes theirs to a dealership where it gets a file logged or a document logged about what mileage it was, what was changed, what was replaced. But you have to be somewhat of a cognitive thinking adult to ask, you know, hey, you know, how often is it serviced? How much was it serviced? Did you do it yourself? Did you take it somewhere? Little things like that. It doesn't necessarily change how good the bike is or not, but what it changes is a mindset is of from a buyer's perspective. If they can prove that this thing was well taken care of, it's a little bit more of a peace of mind. Yeah. But when you show up and you talk to freaking hillbilly Bob out there with no teeth and his overalls and he's got this decently nice bike stoved away in some freaking shack where there's shit everywhere, you know, then when they don't when the when the seller mm-hmm. doesn't take care of anything very well, he's not going to take care of the bike. How? It goes back to the old adage, buyer beware. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Again, I want to encourage everybody to take a look at the uh, Renegade Breast Cancer event. Uh, you can find out more about it at OzarkRides.com right there on the homepage. There's a banner. Check it out. Go out there and support it because it's a very good cause. So until next time, we hope that you stay safe and keep it on two wheels. <laughs>